Welcome back to Two Sisters and a TV, the classic TV podcast where we celebrate and remember all things and everything classic TV. Today we want to take a look at The Dick Van Dyke Show, one of my all-time favorites through the years and definitely one of the most sophisticated and intelligent and funny TV shows in TV history. Of course, The Dick Van Dyke Show had a successful five-year run over on CBS, debuting on October 3rd, 1961, the last episode being shown June the 1st. 1966. Now, the run of the Dick Van Dyke show was a little bit choppy in the beginning, so um, let me kind of backtrack a bit. The, the run of the show was successful in the end. The majority of the run was successful, but in the beginning, not so much. First of all, let's take a look at the show and how it all got started. Now, this show was initially supposed to star Carl Reiner. He was supposed to be the one starring in the show. He did a pilot for it titled Head of the Family. This was released in 1960 or actually taped in 1960. It was never released um, because basically it just was not that great. Um, He portrayed the character of Robbie Petrie. Same scenario. Uh, The plot of the pilot was basically uh, from the episode if you've seen the episode of the dick van dyke show father of the week well that was the original pilot for head of the family it was of course basically the same scenario uh basically it was about carl reiner's experience his real life experience as a head writer on the show of shows that was sid caesar's show back in the 50s and that's basically what the show was about it was about what it was like being a head writer on that show as well as his family life and the rest of you know his experiences with you know you know just you know just uh human experiences and interactions with other people you know friends and neighbors and the like again the pilot it just did not do that well so it was you know never it never aired not to my knowledge and um they decided, Carl Reiner decided that he would just, you know, work on the show behind the scenes. And of course, he, of course, would later appear on camera as Alan Brady. But he, they decided to get a different actor to star in the actual show. One of those they were considering was Johnny Carson. This was, of course, before he took over The Tonight Show for Jack Parr in 1962. But he was one of the ones who was up in the running to be Rob Petrie. They decided to change the character's name around a little bit, make it Petrie instead of Petrie, instead of Robbie. It was going to be Rob. So um, he was a serious contender, but Dick Van Dyke, who had been really making a name for himself in on Broadway and in plays on Broadway, they decided to cast him as the star of the show and they named it after him being the Dick Van Dyke show. The show, of course, as I said, made its debut in 1961 over on CBS. The first season, I love the first season personally. A lot of great episodes in that first season. But the ratings just were not that good. The ratings were really poor. I mean, it finished out the 1961-62 season at number 80 in the ratings. So at the end of the first season, it was actually canceled by the network. A lot of people don't know this. I found it out some years ago, was very surprised to find this out. They had a a party, you know, for the ending of the show and 
everything. So they just pretty much knew that they were done. But Procter and Gamble went to bat for them, as did Danny Thomas and Sheldon Leonard. But Procter and Gamble went to CBS and said that they were going to pull their sponsorship during the daytime if the Dick Van Dyke show was canceled. The CBS's daytime schedule very lucrative at that time. Still pretty lucrative today, as a matter of fact, on a side note. But uh, Procter & Gamble was a big part of that. And CBS didn't want to lose their sponsorship during the daytime hours. So they renewed the Dick Van Dyke show for a second season. They moved it around, though, to a different time slot. They placed it right after a brand new show, which debuted in the fall of 62, called The Beverly Hillbillies. Beverly Hillbillies became the biggest news show on television. And with the Dick Van Dyke show following it, that meant that that was going to be really good ratings for it as well. And by the end of the 1962-63 season, they had jumped all the way up to number nine in the ratings. And they won a multi, uh, several Emmys at the end of that season as well. And they were nominated for 25 Emmys, the show was, over its five-year run. The show won 15 of those Emmys that they were nominated for. By the end of the 1963-64 season, the Dick Van Dyke show had jumped all the way up to the number three spot in the Nielsen ratings. It was the third highest rated show on television at that time. The Dick Van Dyke show definitely was something that was really different. I mean, for one thing, the character, uh, the characters of Rob and Laura Petrie, you could tell that they were not like any other couple you'd seen on TV before. I mean, they would argue. Laura was very opinionated. She had her own mind. She wore these really hot capri pants. Now, some people think that Mary Tyler Moore was the first actress on TV to wear pants, but that's not quite true. Lucille Ball also wore pants on I Love Lucy. So she was the first actress to do that on TV. But Mary Tyler Moore was the first actress that really got noticed for wearing pants on TV. I mean, the sponsors actually went nuts over the whole situation. It sounds really bizarre today, but in the 60s, it was a big deal because they wanted to make sure the pants weren't too tight, that they didn't show too much of her posterior, if you will. So they wanted to make sure that the pants were loose enough, not too tight. It got to the point where they actually started putting Laura in dresses quite a bit. They stopped her from wearing the pants for a while, but the viewers began to miss Laura in the pants, and they began to write in asking, well, where, you know, where were, you know, the pants on Laura? So the pants resumed and um, definitely became a fashion statement at the time, not to mention her Jackie Kennedy-esque hairstyle, which lots of ladies were wearing at the time. My mom even wore a Jackie Kennedy hairstyle when she was in high school. So it was very, very popular. And uh, Rob and Laura, again, they were, you know, so, so attractive. They were so, so young. And they looked a lot like John and Jackie Kennedy, who were in the White House at the time. And also, you could tell that these two had sex often. You could tell that they were very sexually active. I mean, yeah, they slept in separate beds. But they didn't stay in those separate beds all the time. You could just tell that. They had an amazing chemistry, Dick Van Dyke and Mary Tyler Moore did. The chemistry that they had was undeniable. And that's really what helped to make the show so successful because they really did. You really would think that they were married. I mean, they were amazing, still to this day, amazing to watch on, on camera. 
As a matter of fact, they would reveal years later that at the time of the show that they were very attracted to one another. However, they were both married and they were not going to cheat on their spouses. But that attraction definitely came through loud and clear on screen. Of course, also, the entire cast had great chemistry, though. I mean, everyone on that show worked well together. The show, hilariously funny. It's timeless. And I discovered it when I was probably around eight years old. Discovered it. It was coming on one of the independent stations. I found it. I think we were out for Christmas. We're out of school for Christmas, I believe, or maybe Thanksgiving. And I was channel surfing one day after watching The Young and the Restless, which was a 30-minute show still at that time. And I ran across the Dick Van Dyke show, and I've loved it ever since. But um, the Dick Van Dyke show definitely, you know, it's one of those shows that they specifically, Carl Reiner decided he really did not want a lot of modern day references or slang in the shows. He wanted it to remain timeless. I mean, you do have some references to the era, you know, in the show, but for the most part, that was kind of, you know, left out. But the show, of course, like I said, uh, it's definitely, like I said, it's a favorite among a lot of people. And the cast was absolutely wonderful. I mean, you had Maury Amsterdam as Buddy Sorrell, Rosemarie as Sally Rogers, and you had Richard Deacon as Mel Cooley, and not to mention Maritola Mar- Mar- Moore as Laura Petrie. You had Larry Matthews as their son, Richie. And then you had other people, you know, like you had the neighbors next door, you know, Jerry and Millie. You had Rob's brother, Stacy. Um, you know, it was just, just you had uh, Buddy's wife, Pickles. And then, of course, again, as I, as I said, you had Alan Brady, which was interesting because in the first few seasons, you only heard Alan Brady's voice. You only saw the back of his head. But by around season three, you begin to see Alan, you know, face to face. You begin to, you know, you know, see him, you know, um, on camera like everybody else. In the third season, Carl Reiner wanted the show to actually be filmed in color, but it was going to cost $7,000 per episode for it to go into color. So he decided to just go ahead and cancel that idea completely. But the Dick Van Dyke show definitely became a favorite, a fan favorite. It still is today. And a lot of that had to do with the great chemistry. I mean, because the show, of course, it was like Carl Reiner's, you know, it was, about, it was definitely like his life. I mean, you saw Rob and Laura, their home life, you know, with Richie and, you know, uh, Millie and Jerry and, and all of that. And then, of course, you got to see Rob at work, working with Buddy and Sally and Mel and Alan. And so you got a really good balance of the two. And, of course, other scenarios that Rob would find himself in. Um... There was, however, for the most part, everyone got along very well. Everyone was professional, got along very well behind the scenes. But there was a little bit of drama behind the scenes. It was nothing that was too, too major. But uh, Rosemary, in the beginning, they were going to focus the show more on Rob's work life. Kind of like Barney Miller. Because Barney Miller in the beginning, you know, you had his wife, Liz. You saw his two kids. It was just in the first season, in the very beginning. But then the producers decided to go in a different direction and focus more on Barney at work. And you just didn't see his home life at all anymore. I mean, he and Liz separated. You didn't see the kids very often anymore. It was all about uh, Barney Miller at work. 
Same thing with Welcome Back Cotter. Basically, you saw Mr. Cotter at work. You did see some of his home life, but basically it was about he, you know, about him being at work and you know he teaching the sweat hogs and you know he and his interactions with Mr. Woodman. Um so that's how the Dick Van Dyke show was supposed to be initially. But the chemistry between Mary Tyler Moore and Dick Van Dyke was so explosive that the viewers want to see more of Rob and Laura. They want to see more of Rob's home life. That didn't sit too well with Rose Marie because she was under the impression when the show first started that she would be the primary female on the show. She'd be the main woman in Rob Petrie's life. The main one that you would see on TV. Rose Marie, of course, had been an actor since she was a child. She was a child star, had been acting for 30 years. She first started acting when she was like around five years old. And so she had a lot of experience. Mary Tyler Moore, not so experienced when she came on board. Uh, she had been the secretary Sam in David Jansen's series, Richard Diamond. But you only saw her legs and her arms and you heard her voice. You never saw her face. She had also uh, done the little happy teapot commercials. But Dick Van Dyke was kind of hesitant when she came on board because, first of all, she was 12 years younger than he was. And she wasn't. She was not very experienced. She was the least experienced amongst the cast members, amongst the adults in the cast. But she proved that she, you know, she held her ground and she proved that she was a really top-notch comedian. And she won two Emmys for her portrayal of Laura Petrie on the show. So Mary was getting a lot of attention. Not only did they decide to switch things around and focus more on Rob's home life with Laura, but Mary Tullamore was getting a lot of attention. As I said, she was winning Emmys and she was getting interviewed all the time. She's getting lots of attention and it didn't set very well with Rose Marie. I heard in an interview, there's a documentary on, I saw it on TV Land some years ago about the Dick Van Dyke show and Rose Marie admitted that she became pretty jealous of Mary. While Mary admitted that she and Rosie, as she called her in the interview, they, you know, they got along. There was never any kind of issue. They never had any arguing or anything behind the scenes. But Mary said that she and Rosie were very wary of one another. There was definitely some tension there. But of course, when you watch the show, you couldn't tell because they were so professional and they were such good actresses. You could never tell there was anything going on behind the scenes. But Rosemarie... Again, it got to the point where she actually had had enough of all the attention that was given to Mary. So she went to Carl Reiner and she told him, this was around 1964, and she told him, you know, hey, I mean, I didn't sign up for this. I mean, I was under the impression when I started this show that I was going to be the primary main female on the show, that I was going to be the main one, the main woman that Rob was going to be interacting with. And now I've been basically pushed aside. You know, now it's all about, you know, Rob and Laura. It's all about Mary. And I don't think that that's fair. So Carl listened to her grievances. And, you know, he said, you know, hey, you know, we're sorry that, you know, I'm sorry that you're not, you know, really happy about what's going on. You bring a lot to the show. You bring a lot to the table, which she did. I couldn't imagine anyone else being Sally Rogers except for Rosemary. She brought a lot to that show. She was she had some of the best lines on the show, within the show. So yes, yeah, she was, I mean, a huge asset 
to that show. So that's what Carl was telling her. And he said that, you know, we want you to stay on the show and, you know, we, we, you know, we all love you, but I'm not going to change the way things are. I'm not going to change the writing on the show. We're going to keep everything the way that it is. We're going to continue to show a lot of Rob's home life. It's going to continue. There's going to continue to be a lot of scenes, a lot of the show, a lot of each episode devoted to Rob and Laura. So I'm not going to change that. So regrettingly, she went along with, you know, Carl's decision and she stayed with the show, of course, until it ended. Sadly, her husband passed away during the same period and she almost left the show because the grief was so overwhelming for her. But the cast really got together, really stuck by her, really banded together, were very supportive. If there was even a line or uh, an episode or anything they felt in the script that would have upset Rosemary in regard to her husband's passing, they took it out. They deleted it. So they were very, very sensitive to her feelings, what she was going through. And fortunately, she did stay with the show until it ended. The show ended while it was still riding high in the ratings. I mean, it was still, it ended. The last season, the 1965-66 season, the show finished at number 16. So it was still in the top 20. But Carl Reiner let everybody know in the beginning that if the show made it to five years, that that was going to be the duration of it. They weren't going to go beyond five years. He wanted the show to go out while it was still on top, and that's exactly what happened. The last episode that was taped was The Gunslinger. It was taped on March the 22nd, 1966. The last episode to actually air was the last chapter. The show... Everyone was really sad when it ended. I mean, everyone, you know, loved working together. They loved the show. They loved what they were doing. And they were really sad when it ended. The rap party was pretty sad. And they, you know, were really going to miss one another and just hate to see it come to an end. But, of course, you know, Carl had the last say because, you know, he was, you know, really, you know, the executive. I mean, there, Carl Reiner was not the only executive involved in the show. As a matter of fact, the um, you've noticed at the end, you'll see that it's produced by Calvada Productions. That stood for Carl Reiner, Sheldon Leonard, Dick Van Dyke, and Danny Thomas. But Carl called the shots in a lot of things, and that included when the show would come to an end. So he was the one who made that decision. And of course, they had to stick by it. Of course, everyone went on to do more in their career after the show ended. Everyone continued to, you know, act and, you know, work steadily. And uh, years later, in 2004, the remaining cast got back together for the Dick Van Dyke show Revisited. We had to wait 38 years for them to actually... This was in the making for many years, but we had to wait 38 years before they all got back together on camera to pick up, well, what happened to everybody? I was in Denver on a trip, and I remember my sister kept calling me, reminding me to make sure I didn't miss the Dick Van Dyke show revisited. I said, there's just no way I'm missing that. I got back to the hotel at 7.30. The episode was going to come on at 9, so I was back an hour and a half ahead of time. There was no way that I was going to miss that because I was so excited. We were so excited to watch watch that because we've both loved the show for so many years and we're so happy they were going to actually be back on camera and show well where everyone was in the modern day. Rob and Laura moved out of New Rochelle. They had moved to Manhattan. 
uh, Laura had opened a dance studio and so you know she was working in the dance studio Meanwhile, Richie had a family of his own, and he bought the house that they had in New Rochelle. Uh, Buddy, of course, and Mel had passed on. They wrote that into the um, show because Maury Amsterdam and Richard Deacon had passed away by that point, as had Jerry Paris. So their uh, passings were all written into the show. Um... Sally was finally married. You know, Sally had been wanting to get married. And, you know, she had her boyfriend, her kind of semi-steady boyfriend, Herman. Well, she had finally married Herman by that point. So she was finally the happily married woman that she'd been wanting to be for a long time. Um, Of course, you know, uh, Alan Brady was still on the scene. He wanted both uh, Rob and Sally to write his obituary. And uh, Millie was still in the picture. Uh, Millie was actually involved with Rob's brother, Stacy. They were in a relationship together. Um, so it was really great seeing everyone back for, you know, a continuation. Just one more episode of the Dick Van Dyke show and, and what happened to everyone. It was just great having everybody back. It was so much fun to watch. The episode was nominated for an Emmy, actually, and it aired on CBS. It also aired on TV Land, and it is on YouTube. If you've never seen it before, it's on YouTube. I am going to go over and watch it again sometime soon, but uh, it's definitely something that I think if you love the Dick Van Dyke show, it's definitely worth checking out at least one time. The entire series is available on DVD and Blu-ray. I've been forgetting to mention, because every time I wrap up an episode... I always mention if it's available on DVD or not, the entire series. But I've been forgetting to mention about Blu-ray. For some reason, I just that's been slipping my mind, so I have got to start mentioning what's available on Blu-ray. Well, the Dick Van Dyke Show is available on Blu-ray as well as DVD. So if you'd like to check out the entire or own the entire series, it's definitely very easy to do. Now, I recently discovered the Dick Van Dyke Show again. Of course, also it comes on Antenna TV, not Antenna TV, MeTV, Sunday nights, 11 and 11.30 Eastern Time. They show two episodes back to back. So you can also check it out on MeTV on Sunday nights. I recently rediscovered the Dick Van Dyke Show on YouTube, the colorized episodes, because they did this starting about six years ago, back in like 2016. Well, I was at work. I worked in a restaurant at the time. I was lead hostess, so I had to always work at night. And so they would, I mean, I didn't have a DVR at the time. And so I missed all of the colorized episodes they did of the Dick Van Dyke Show. Because whenever, whenever they would show one, I always had to work. And so I had not seen them until just last week. I ran across one on YouTube and I watched it. And uh, it was the Coast to Coast Big Mouth episode. One of the best episodes in the show's history. It was when Laura ended up letting it slip on national television that Alan Brady is really bald. And you, you can't help but just love Laura Petrie. She was so cute and so adorable. She went in to see Alan to apologize to him. Alan's, you know, has all of his toupees there on the desk and he puts them all on top of his head simultaneously. And he's asking her, well, what do you think I should do with these now? And so Laura's, you know, <laughs> Laura is, is just so adorable. And she's like, well, there must be some, there probably must be some needy bald people. <laughs> That's absolutely adorable. 
Uh, that, that line alone is absolutely unforgettable. It's hysterical. But usually I don't really care for colorized anything. When you colorize anything black and white. But the Dick Van Dyke show was an exception. The color actually enhanced the show. It added to it. It didn't take away from it. It wasn't a distraction. It actually made the show, in a way, more funny, believe it or not. You need to go over and check it out for yourself to see what I'm talking about. You might not even agree with me, but I've fallen in love with those color episodes. I've watched a couple of them. I haven't seen them all yet, but I watched that one, and then I've watched the one... um, the episode from season three, the very first episode, I believe the title was That's My Boy, where Rob thought that he and Laura brought the wrong baby home from the hospital. <laughs> Another one of my favorite episodes. And that I want to touch up on very quickly because, as you know, Rob is just so – he just knows that he and Laura have the wrong baby. And he and Jerry are, pray, are playing detectives and, you know, he, 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 you can't talk him out of it. He's got the wrong baby. They don't have the right baby. And so, you know, he ends up calling up, do, um, um, Mr. Peters, you know, Petri Peters, room three, uh, room 208, room 203, you know, um, he, he calls him up and I think we've got the wrong baby. So they come over there to the house and they also need to b- drop off some figs that they were given, you know, by accident, you know, got mixed up with the rooms. And of course, Mr. Peters and his wife are African-American. That, when they filmed that episode, that laugh lasted about 20 minutes. That's what I read. This laugh was so long. I mean, it would die down. It would start back up all over again. First of all, I saw that episode. I saw it on TV land. I think it was TV land or maybe it was Nick at night. One of those two. The first time I saw that episode, I, I, I was in stitches. It was so hilariously funny the first time I saw that. And some people, they're under the impression that, well, hey, you know, they're laughing at the African-American couple, you know, that's not true. We're laughing at Rob. We're laughing at Rob Petrie for having all this built up in his mind that he's got the wrong baby, that he made a fool of himself once again. You know, because Rob was known for doing that. Rob was adorable. He's a wonderful husband, a wonderful father, a wonderful friend, wonderful coworker. He was just a great guy all around. But Rob could really get himself in some bizarre situations, and he could really make himself look like a clown <laughs> in the most adorable way. And this was definitely the epitome of that. But, um, it was just so funny. I mean, seeing that episode, and I can see why the audience just just could not stop laughing because I could not stop laughing either. If it had been a racist type of a thing, I would call it out and say that it was, but it, it wasn't. Definitely not. The African-American family, of course, the actor was Greg Morris, who would go on to do Mission Impossible. He was also in another episode of the Dick Van Dyke show. I think it was the Bobkiss episode that he was in as well, and I think the next season. Um, they were definitely not being laughed at. It was all about Rob. But uh, I remember one day, uh, and this episode is about to go ahead and come to a close, um, Sadly, the only cast members from the Dick Van Dyke show who are still with us are Larry Matthews, who portrayed Richie, and Dick Van Dyke himself. Everyone else has passed on. But their memory is alive and well when it comes to looking at those hilarious episodes that they did for that five-year period on the Dick Van Dyke show. The Dick Van Dyke show, like I said, very dear to us. 
My sister and I both love it very much. Um, and I just want to get uh, mention something very briefly before uh, the episode the episode comes to a close today. This was about nine years ago. No, about ten years ago, I think. Yeah, this was about ten years ago. I had a really, really horrible day at work. Terrible, terrible day at work. The job itself was not that great in, in, in the first place, and I had the worst day. The day was so bad that I was in tears. Now, if your day at work is that bad and you're crying, it, it's really got to be brutal, and it was definitely a brutal day for me. Watch well, the Dick Van Dyke show over on, I believe it was TV Land, and they were showing the episode, The Unwelcome House Guest. This was when Buddy had Rob babysitting his dog. The episode originally aired on November the 21st, 1961. And I was watching the episode. I didn't even feel like cooking dinner. You know, it was time to cook dinner. And I just didn't, I didn't even feel like cooking. I didn't feel like doing anything. I just, just plopped on the couch. Just so upset. Well, when Rob Petrie put that dog in that baby bed and wheeled that dog in the baby bed, the playpen rather, the playpen. When Rob put that dog in that playpen and wheeled it into the bedroom, I was literally on the floor with laughter. I could not stop laughing at that. Rob had this happy look on his face, like he had come up with the most brilliant idea. Put this, Richie was scared of the dog. You know, this was a German Shepherd. Richie was scared of him. And so Rob decides he's got the perfect answer. Put the dog in with he and Laura in their, in their room. And put the dog in the playpen. That, just seeing that one scene alone turned my whole day around. It really did. I was in a good mood for the rest of the day. I forgot about work. I got up and I fixed dinner. And I was in a good mood and fine for the rest of the night. So I must say, I have a special place in my heart for the Dick Van Dyke Show, not just because of what happened that day, although that is a part of it, but the way that it just, it, it, it makes you laugh, the way that it really puts you in a good mood, the way that the show was, like I said, was just so, so smart. As I said, it was such an intelligent show, so sophisticated. Rob and Laura were just so classy and they were just so modern. They were so modern. It was a very modern, hip show, the Dick Van Dyke show was. And it was just something that hadn't been seen before on TV. You know, a couple so, you know, touchy-feely and so in love. And, uh, you know, you could tell when you watch, when you watch Dick Van Dyke and Mary Tyler Moore, if they were in a scene and they weren't touching each other or they weren't hugging or kissing, you could just look at them and you could just, just tell that they wanted to be doing that. That's just how strong the... the sexual tension was between the two of them you could tell they wanted to be all over each other and uh you know that's just something that again that it's just timeless it's something that never grows old it never gets old to watch and so i am so glad that we got this episode together today to bring to you it was a lot of fun just to prepare for this episode to do the little research that we did for it didn't do a low lot because we know so much about the show for having watched it for so long down through the years we did do a little research and of course you know I watched some color episodes in advance 
And uh, it was just, a, well, I watched a documentary. There's a great documentary on YouTube, by the way, about the Dick Van Dyke Show's 60th anniversary. It's about an hour and a half in length. I highly recommend checking it out. Um, lots of the cast members' children are featured in this documentary. They're interviewed. And uh, other guest stars like Barbara Bain, she was in an episode, and also uh, Barry Livingston. Um, and the, I can't think of the guy's name. You know, the episode about the Twizzle, another favorite episode of mine. Uh, that guy is in the documentary. That Twizzle episode, I love that. Who knew Mel Cooley could get down like that? I mean, who knew he could dance like that? I think he shocked me more than anybody else because they all took turns at dancing. Mel shocked me more than anybody. I'm still blown away when I see that episode and I see Mel getting down. That brother could really move. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we had such a good time preparing this episode. And it has been a lot of fun to remember the Dick Van Dyke show with you all here today. Again, if you haven't seen those colorized episodes, they're on YouTube. Uh, You know, give them a look and see what you think. A lot of the episodes are on YouTube. You know, black and white ones as well as the colorized ones. So you can go over there and have some fun and check out the Petries and Company um, on the Dick Van Dyke Show. Well, that's going to wrap up this episode of Two Sisters on a TV, the classic TV podcast. We will return with our brand new episode for you next week. And until that next episode, we'll see you all then. Welcome back to Two Sisters and a TV, the classic TV podcast, where we remember and celebrate all things and everything classic TV. Today, we're going to take a quick look at Archie Bunker's Place, one of my all-time favorite TV shows growing up in the late 70s and in the early 80s. Now, Archie Bunker's Place, never the massive, huge success that its predecessor, All in the Family, was, but the ratings were good enough for it to have been a regular Sunday night staple for four years. The show made its debut on September the 23rd, 1979, and ran until April 4th, 1983. Now, here's how Archie Bunker's Place came into being. Now, at the end of the 1977-78 TV season, it was decided by everyone involved that All in the Family would come to a close. Rob Reiner, in particular, thought that the show would end. The same thing, um, so did Sally Struthers. Jean Stapleton really didn't have an opinion. I mean, she didn't care if it ended or if it kept going. But Carol O'Connor wanted it to keep going. He felt that there was more left within the show. The show finished out the 1977-78 season as the fifth highest rated show on television. So he felt that there was still more to be done with the show and with the character of Archie Bunker. So the show stayed on for one more season. By the end of the 1978-79 season, uh, the CBS's Vice President of Television, Robert Daly, decided that you know, he and Carol O'Connor got together and they felt that, I mean, you know, there was still more to be done in regard to Archie Bunker and that there was a way that they could keep the character going and to keep some kind of uh, version of, you know, All in the Family on the air. 
Now, Norman Lear, who was the producer and creator of All in the Family, was dead set against the idea. He wanted All in the Family to go out when it was still on top. He wanted it to go out with the 1977-78 season, but he was fine with it sticking around for one more season. But by 1979, he wanted All in the Family to go ahead and come to a close. He also wanted the the characters of Archie and Edith to go ahead and fade off into the sunset. But between Robert Daly and Carol O'Connor, they wanted to keep the show going. They wanted to keep the character of Archie Bunker going because they felt that, again, there was more to do with the character, more to do with the show, the ratings. It was still successful enough to where it could still stay on the air in some kind of a form or some kind of a version. So normally, again, still dead set against the idea. William Paley actually took him to lunch and told him, gave him a list of all the people who would be out of work if, you know, this new version would not be allowed to go on the air. Norman Lear initially did everything he could to stop Archie Bunker's place to come in, to coming into being. He didn't want that show at all to come to fruition, and he did everything he could to try to stop it. But after having lunch with William Paley and seeing that list of names of people who would be out of a job because of him, he decided that he would just go ahead and back down and relent and let Archie, um, Archie Bunker's place go ahead and go to air. Now, the show was in a great time slot. The Sunday night CBS lineup in those days was stellar. And by the way... Um, If you get Antenna TV, it's so funny because on Saturday nights at 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 Central, there are two episodes of Alice. After that, there are two episodes of One Day at a Time and then two episodes after that of Archie Bunker's Place. Well, if you grew up like I did when I did back in those days, you'll remember that the shows on CBS were, of course, you had 60 Minutes at 6 o'clock, 7 Eastern. Then you had Archie Bunker's Place, One Day at a Time, Alice, The Jeffersons, and Trapper John M.D. So somebody in programming at Antenna TV grew up around the same time that I did, evidently, and they remember that lineup on Sunday nights. They just decided to make it backward. As for The Jeffersons, well, it's on weeknights. It's on five nights a week, Monday through Friday, 8 Central. I'm sorry, not 8 Central, 8 Eastern, 7 Central, two episodes back to back. So The Jeffersons 2 is on Antenna TV. All they need is Trapper John. So definitely I can see that there, <laughs> there are people who out there today still fondly remembering that lineup. As a matter of fact, R.T. Bunker's Place was so successful in the ratings in its first season, believe it or not, it actually was a big competitor against Mork and Mindy. Now, Mork and Mindy, which made its debut in the fall of 1978, was the highest rated new show on TV. It was the big, big breakout new show of that, of that season. Well, the powers that be over on ABC decided to move it to Sunday nights up against Archie Bunker's place. And Archie Bunker's place actually displaced Mork and Mindy in the ratings. It, in other words, it beat Mork and Mindy. Because honestly, I was watching Archie Bunker's place myself. I was not watching Mork and Mindy during that time. For one thing, I didn't like the cast changes that they made. I mean, they wrote up Mindy's grandmother. They got rid of Eugene. And I just was not feeling 
you know, those changes. So the show definitely lost something. And so, yeah, I was watching Archie Bunker's place. Absolutely. The show definitely had, you know, lots of new characters on this show. Yet some of the ones marked from all in the family, like, you know, Bernie Hefner. Hank was around for the first season. Stephanie was there. But you also had new characters. You had Marie Klein, who was Artie's new partner at Artie Bunker's place. Harry was still around also from all in the family. And then, of course, you had my favorite character, Mr. Van Rensselaer. Am I saying that right? Yeah, I'm saying it right. Mr. Van, I always did kind of mix up his name, Mr. Van Rensselaer. He too came from All in the Family. So you had a lot of characters from All in the Family come over to, come over to Archie Bunker's place. We had new characters like Murray and like another one of my favorite characters, Veronica. Veronica was the cook at Archie Bunker's place and she and Archie butted heads all the time, but they were also very good friends. So the first season, again, really successful. And I don't remember what finished in the ratings, but the ratings were always really pretty good for this show. It was always in the top 25 or in the top 20, top 30. Uh, I think the highest it went to maybe was maybe number 12 or number 15 during its four-year run. Um, Gene Stapleton really wanted to let the character of Edith Bunker go by that point. But she did agree to be a part of Archie Bunker's place a little bit to help with the transition. So she was all for being a part of that. She was in, I think, four or five episodes in the first season. And, of course, it was, you know, nice to see Edith, of course. And then there was the Thanksgiving episode, which aired in 1979, where Mike and Gloria and Joey came back to visit and spend Thanksgiving with Edith and Archie and Stephanie. And, of course, this is all on YouTube. There's a two-parter episode. That's what it was, a two-parter. It's on YouTube. And there are also other Archie Bunker's Place episodes on YouTube as well. I think only the first season is available on DVD. Don't know if it's on Blu-ray. The whole series might be available, but I'm not positive. I know the first season is for sure, though. But by season two, Jean Stapleton had had enough and she really wanted out of everything in regard to Edith Bunker. She felt that the character had run its course and she wanted to move on to do other things, do other roles and pursue other projects. So she was going to be leaving Artie Bunker's place. Well, that was definitely a problem because, I mean, well, how are you going to explain the absence of Edith? In the first season, if Edith uh, was not in an episode, either it just wasn't mentioned. But usually if it came up, she was either working, you know, because she was working at a new new home for elderly residents or she was visiting relatives in New Jersey or somewhere. She was always, you know, off doing something. But you couldn't keep Edith not being at home so her absence was going to have to be dealt with so unfortunately it was decided that they were they would kill off the character of edith which honestly i mean that was really tough tough you know for norman lear he really didn't take that very well took it very hard carol connor didn't take it very well either but they knew this that they had to do um Gene Stapleton basically told Norman Lear, well, I mean, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, she's just a character. But Norman Lear replied back to her, well, you know, not to me. She's much more than that. 
And I mean, who? I mean, we all love Edith. Edith was so funny and so good-hearted, and she could be really strong and firm when she had to be against you know whoever, whomever. Um, definitely one of the most beloved characters in TV history, and um, even today. When you watch that episode, this episode aired 42 years ago this month on November 2nd, 1980. The episode was titled Archie Alone, and it was an hour-long episode, and it addressed the death of Edith. Edith died in her sleep of a stroke, and basically the show picked up about probably six weeks or so after her passing, or maybe two months later. How Archie was not sleeping upstairs in the bed. He was sleeping on the couch. Stephanie was really struggling with Edith's death as well. Archie would not want to talk about it with her. He'd shut her down. And she was skipping school. And it was brilliantly written, brilliantly acted. And if I recall correctly, that episode won a Peabody Award. And Carol O'Connor, who helped write the episode... I think he won an Emmy for writing it as well, for helping to write it. But it was very, very well done. But it's still, after all of these years, it's really hard to watch. I watched it again on Antenna TV about, I think, three weeks ago, two, three weeks ago. And it was, again, really hard to watch. At the time, I was nine years old. And I had never experienced the death of a close loved one. Not yet. And I remember watching that and just seeing how it all played out. And I was really, it scared me, quite frankly. It was very sad and very scary to me at the time when, an, when it originally aired. But again, it was acted so beautifully, acted so well. And it was very realistic. That's one thing about Archie Bunker's place. A lot of people don't care for it because Edith did die in the show. And then, of course, two years after that, Mike and Gloria broke up. And a lot of people just can't really handle that because you have those kind of things happen in real life. But when it comes to TV, you like for everyone to live happily ever after. And in R.T. Bunker's place, that's not what happened. But it was very realistic because it happens in families all the time. People pass away and marriages come to an end. So there was a very, very realistic perception in regard to Archie Bunker's place. A lot of people still, again, like I said, can't accept it very well. But, I mean, for me, I wasn't happy about Mike and Gloria breaking up either. And, of course, certainly not, you know, the the death of Edith. But, again, those things happen. And uh, Archie dating again. That was something else a lot of viewers just, you know, they still have problems with. Archie even, believe it or not, because the character of Archie Bunker did a lot of, he was, you know, still had the hangups that he had all along. But in a lot of ways, he did evolve. I mean, he was raising Stephanie, who was Jewish. His partner, Murray Klein, portrayed by Martin Balsam, was also Jewish. He hired a new housekeeper to help take care of the house and help take care of Stephanie, Mrs. Canby, Ellen Canby, and she was an African-American lady. And they had a really good relationship. He respected her. And I know that there was an episode of, oh, pretty early on after she came to the show, they were shopping in the grocery store, and I believe one of Archie's neighbors or lodge brothers called her, referred to her as the N-word, and Archie decked him right there in the store. And didn't care if he had been expelled from the lodge for doing it. 
And one of his girlfriends, a steady girlfriend that he had later on down the road in the show, was actually Puerto Rican. So the character of Archie did a lot of maturing, a lot of growing up, a lot of adjusting, and that was really nice to see. Very surprising, but also very nice to see the fact that he was really changing and evolving a lot as a person. Now, later on down the road, you got to meet his other niece, Billy. Billy, portrayed by Denise Miller, came to town. She was his brother Fred's daughter. She came, moved to New York, and she worked at the bar. She was a waitress, and she moved in with Archie and with Stephanie. So he was, you know, taking care of both Billy and Stephanie. By 1982, that fall, though, you didn't see, um, basically, uh, Mrs. Camby had left the show, as did Veronica. Pretty much because when Billy came, Billy was older. She was in her 20s. She was a young adult. Billy kind of filled the role that Veronica and Mrs. Canby had had on the show. Of course, I hate it when they left. I hate it to see both Veronica and Mrs. Canby leave. Um, but, and I'm not saying that's why they left. This is all speculation. I don't know why they left. But it could be because of the fact that Billy kind of filled that role that they had had with Archie. And, you know, in a way, they were a little bit obsolete, maybe. Not my opinion, but maybe in, uh, you know, their opinion, the actress's opinions or, you know, the writing. Because you didn't see them as much anymore after Billy came along. You didn't see Mrs. Camby very much anymore. And you saw less of Veronica, so maybe that's why they left. But again, it was a disappointment for me when they did. But uh, back to Mr. Uh, Van Rensselaer, or Mr. Van R, as they called him affectionately. He was my favorite character on the show. Mr. Van R was blind. He was portrayed by Bill Quinn, who was Bob Newhart's uh, father-in-law, as a matter of fact. And I really like the fact that they had a um, character on the show who was a regular on the show who uh, had a disability. And he was definitely one of the smart, he was a very smart character. He'd been a school teacher and he always was someone that Archie and everyone else, you know, on the show respected. They all respected Mr. Van R. They all really loved him and cared for him. And, um, I just really liked the way that he portrayed that character. I always had a lot of respect for him. He was always very level-headed. He was very strong and very independent. And uh, I remember when in an episode in the first season when they found out, the gang found out that there was possibly an operation that he could get to restore his sight. Well, he was completely against the idea. He did go to the doctor about it, but the operation was not going to work for his particular kind of blindness. And it was revealed in the episode because the doctor was a friend of his, of Mr. Van R's. It was revealed that Mr. Van R was very well off. He was very financially secure. He had a nice nest egg. He didn't share this with anybody, of course, in, at the bar. But they all raised up a whole lot of money to, you know, for him to have this operation. So that was a very touching episode. Archie Bunker's place, a lot like All in the Family, had those episodes which really did tug at your heartstrings, and that was one of them. Another episode that really tugged at the heartstrings was when Stephanie's maternal grandmother, Mrs. Harris, portrayed by Celeste Holm, came to town and wanted to 
basically filed for custody. She wanted Stephanie to live with her. And she and Archie actually went to court. And Stephanie, who wanted her maternal grandmother in her life, wanted to stay with Archie. I mean, you know, she was settled with him and, you know, she liked her school. She liked her life. She liked, you know, everybody at the bar and everything. And so, you know, she didn't want to leave that and be uprooted. But Estelle was basically, you know, like, well, hey, I mean, Archie's not even a blood relative, which that's true. He was a relative by in-law. Actually, Stephanie's father, Floyd, was Edith's step-cousin. So how Archie fit into that, I'm not even quite really sure. But she was like, well, you know, Stephanie needs a mother figure. And Mrs. Harris was a wealthy widow, so she had plenty of money. She could give Stephanie whatever she wanted and needed. And so, but in the end, the judge ruled that Stephanie should stay with Archie. But that too, another two-part episode, definitely tugged at the heartstrings. Another episode was when Stephanie had her bat mitzvah. This was in the 1981-82 season. Her father, Floyd, comes back to town for it. She wanted him to be there. And the gang at the bar gave Stephanie a money tree. And the money tree, she placed it in her room. Everyone was back at the house, you know, continuing the celebration. For Stephanie, well, Stephanie caught Floyd, her own father, stealing her money from her money tree. Again, really tugged at the heartstrings. So that definitely, in that way, Archie Bunker's Place was still like all in the family. It was a TV show that had those episodes, those situations that really affected you emotionally. Like when Veronica started back drinking again, she became a full-blown alcoholic and Archie, you know, yelled at her, fired her. And then she called Alcoholics Anonymous to get help. And it was just, again, another very, very touching scene, a very touching episode. So I, like I said, I loved Archie Bunker's Place growing up. I, I've always liked the theme song. The theme song was the same as the All in the Family theme song. It was just an instrumental version, a jazzier version. It was done by Ray Conniff. He recorded both the opening and the closing songs. And I've always liked that song. It just sounds like third, fourth, fifth grade to me. You know, it just reminds me of those Sunday nights as a kid watching it. Um, but now why did the show come to an end well CBS got a brand new president and basically he wanted everything in regard to all in the family off of the air because if you remember or maybe you don't recall or maybe you don't know Sally Struthers came back to Archie Bunker's place another two-part episode you know she and Mike broke up and she moved back to New York, left California, left Santa Barbara, moved back to New York. And she was working at the bar for a while, but then she ends up becoming an assistant at, you know, for a vet veterinarian who was portrayed by Burgess Meredith. And Gloria, the spinoff TV show Gloria, came into being as a result. Gloria was placed after Archie Bunker's place in the 1982-83 season. They moved one day at a time to, I think, Tuesday nights for a while. But Gloria didn't do too bad in the ratings. A lot of people, you know, bash it now and, you know, this and this. But at the time, the ratings were not that bad. Uh, I watched it, you know, I watched it every Sunday night. And uh, so, I mean, he, uh, the new CBS's new president canceled both Gloria after just a season and Archie Bunker's place. No finale, no closure, no nothing. And I was so mad. 
I was mad about them both being canceled, but especially Archie Bunker's place because there was no no finale. There was no closure. The show just ended. And of course, Carol O'Connor was absolutely livid. He said that he would never again work on a TV show for CBS again. But actually, he did wind up working on CBS again inadvertently because in 1988, he went over to NBC and he did In the Heat of the Night. He did that show for several seasons. He won another Emmy Award for his portrayal of the Chief Bill Gillespie. Of course, the TV show came from the original film from 1967 starring Sidney Poitier and Rod Steiger. And the TV show originally starred Carol O'Connor and Howard Rollins. Well, by around 1993-94, NBC canceled the show, but CBS picked it up for one more season. So he ended up over on CBS anyway. But uh, yeah, that was definitely quite a blow, quite a disappointment. But I am so glad that Archie Bunker's plays got on the air, was able to come to fruition, Norman Lear backed down, and that that show got to make it on air and was on air for four years. Because I still watch it now on Tenet TV. I watch it on Saturday nights because it comes on, like I was saying, 10 o'clock Eastern, 9 Central, two episodes back to back, right after one day at a time, right before Maud. So uh, I still enjoy watching it. It just, it just uh, one of those shows that makes me feel good. You know, not only did I remember being a kid watching it, you know, and those happy, carefree childhood days, but it's just, again, a lot of good episodes, great characters, uh, really good chemistry amongst those characters. And uh, so, yeah, I, I'm still a fan of that show after all of these years. If you'd like to check it out, again, it's on Antenna TV. And I, like I said, the first season I know for sure is available on DVD. Um, maybe the entire series is available by now. Uh, if not, then that definitely needs to happen. But uh, yeah, today I wanted to mention Artie Bunker's place, especially considering the fact that I did read an article about, friends sent me an article about how it was 42 years ago this month when uh, the death of Edith took place on TV, which definitely an unforgettable moment in TV history. And that's going to wrap up this episode of Two Sisters in a TV for today. Thank you, as always, for joining us. Now, our next episode, because we fell a little behind, so we're going to do another episode later this week to kind of catch up. I'll give you a sneak preview of what that episode is about, which normally I don't do. But also, 42 years ago this month, in a couple of days, we found out who shot JR over on Dallas. Speaking of which, Larry Hagman, who portrayed J.R. Ewing, and Carol O'Connor, who portrayed Archie Bunker, best friends for many, many years. I found that out a long time ago, and I was very surprised. I mean, they were friends before they hit it big and show business. Their families were friends. And uh, yeah, so that definitely is what we're going to be covering on our next episode of Two Sisters and TV. Not only are we going to talk about who did shoot JR, for those of you who don't remember, or for those of you who do remember it very, very well, but just what the whole who shot JR, just that whole experience. Taking a look back at that whole, just how that all played out. So that's what we that's what we'll be talking about in our next episode. And we look forward to you joining us for that episode. And again, thank you for joining us today. 
And until that next episode coming up later this week, we'll see you all then.